Hello and welcome to the PhD Life Raft podcast. I'm Em Brzezinski and today I am talking to the wonderful Katie Barkley. We're talking about Katie's book, Academic Emotions, Feeling the Institution. So we talk about the heightened emotional register of academia, but we focus quite particularly on the PhD as a process of socialisation and the emotional element of that. So I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Katie. Hello. Thank you so much for for being here. Um, I am really looking forward to this conversation um, and for for quizzing you. Um, <laughs> talk about academic emotions. I, I, this this your book is brilliant, and I'm still kind of processing that. It raised a lot of questions um, for me in a in a good way, in a really good way. And um, so I'm really looking forward to asking you more about that. Oh, but before that, we always start with um, asking people about their own journey, kind of in and through the PhD and out the other side to, to where you are now. Um, I guess my my story is a bit boring in some ways. I was one of those people who did a degree and then just went all the way through and, um, and at the same institution. So I did my undergraduate and my master's and my PhD at the University of Glasgow. Um, so without any kind of gap. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I don't think I ever set out to uh, to, to do a PhD. I, I, well, I was one of the first in my family to go to university, so there wasn't a whole lot of knowledge in my family about even what a PhD was until I got there. Um, but I just um, I did really well um, in my honours dissertation. I really loved that process. I got the prize. Um, the kind of typical academic story. Um, and then people were like, oh, you should stay on. You should do more research. And and so I, I applied uh, for a scholarship, and I got a scholarship to do a PhD. Um, and so I kind of in, I discovered what this process was as I did it. And um, so my PhD was on uh, marriage in Scotland between 1650 and 1850. Um, but it's about emotion and it's about emotion amongst uh, the couples that I study who were elites, who wrote letters to each other. Um, because for those dates, they're the kind of people who uh, have records that survive in that kind of way. Um, and I was really interested in power, but I, I came, when I was reading the letters, I was like, emotions are all through this and they're shaping the dynamics and they're disciplining them actually in some really important ways like if you want to tell somebody that you love them it kind of disciplines your behavior you have to show that you love them and that means especially in this period showing that you follow you're an obedient wife you conform to gender norms or if you're a husband that you are a loving husband who provides and isn't too tyrannical but has authority and so the way that our emotions kind of uh, tell us how to behave in some ways and that's what got me started on the emotions. And then I kind of just went on from there. I was very fortunate. I did 10 years before I got a permanent job. Woo-hoo. Uh, but um, I have been very fortunate in always being employed um, in contracts. So they were full time. So I always had reasonable money coming in. I did have to uh, work in four different countries before I got that permanent job. But um and in some ways, it's, it's so it's one of those kind of challenging stories of uh, academic precarity, but also yes. a privileged story because of the kinds of contracts I held. Wow, wow. Um, so now you work, and I do just want to to um, 
give this a name because it, it sounds amazing. In terms of the the center for the history of emotion. Yeah. Amazing. And is, was that something you set up or was that you joined? No, I, it was a postdoc that I did. So I was kind of four years out from my PhD at that point, and they advertised these postdocs in this brand new centre that they were setting up in Australia. And they were um, like, they had a huge amount of investment by the government at a moment, a small brief moment in Australian history where uh, humanities research was valued. <laughs> um, and we got, and and for me, it was amazing to go into this really vibrant centre of people who were talking about the things that I already cared deeply about and had been doing research on. Um, and, and then I kind of moved my way up the ranks, as it were. And now I'm with the deputy director of the centre. But that was a, a kind of journey. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Um, and so this said, we're already into passion. We're already, we're like a couple of minutes in, we're already into love and passion, which is amazing. Um, and this is something that, that kind of weaves through your book in terms of academia and passion. Um, and so there's, there's so much that I want to, to ask you about, but I, maybe we'll start with that in terms of, talk to us about academia and passion and the way that that, as you say, shapes the, shapes the academic um, experience, shapes the academic institution. Yeah, I mean, to me, passion is the language of the academy and you see it on uh, job advertisements for example you, you're asked to write about your passionate commitment to the field um, and we put it on our advertising posters and we talk a lot about passion um, and I think in some ways there is a lot of truth in the passionate idea and that a lot of us are very invested in our work we spend a lot of hours doing our work um, and I think you, oh, it's hard to do that if you don't have passion. I what I hope to do in the book is also talk about the fact that that's kind of could be troubling. We can exploit that passion in ways that I think you know we do need downtime. We do also need to deal with the fact that some parts of our job might be boring. Um, that some, we don't have to feel passion all the time. Um, and and that that discourse around passion I think can sometimes come to hamper our uh, you know that process if you don't feel passion you worry about that when really in fact that's just part of the you know the normal kind of run of what academic research is Love it. and so this sense of because this is something that you know we talk about a lot on this podcast is it is the kind of the emotional aspect of the PhD journey and what I love about your book is that you you put you, you recognize emotion at the heart of the academy and the emotion driving the academy be it passion and love or anger <laughs> you talk a lot about <laughs> anger in there um so maybe now that it, perhaps we should come to it well, let's just touch on before we go particularly into what that particularly means for phd researchers but perhaps we'll come to so we've got passion and love on one side talk to us about anger and aggression in academia <laughs> Yeah, and this is an interesting one, I think, uh, because maybe we don't acknowledge that. It's not a very nice emotion, um, but it's a, it's a quite a competitive sort of uh, industry. People are uh, ranked constantly and continuously. And, and even from like me saying, oh, I got invited to do a PhD because I got a, you know an award with my dissertation. They saw value in me. And that language of meritocracy kind of puts us into this kind of ranking of you're better or worse. And we're always trying to position it. And I think that's a very hard way to live. And I think because of that, it causes resentment. It causes anger. Um, but I also think another cause of anger is about actually social justice. So a lot of us, especially uh, 
since I kind of trained, which was, you know, coming up in 20 years ago now, um, we have been taught that the purpose of our work has to be useful. And so it has to change the world. It has to be better. We, it's harder to find uh, academics of, of my generation and younger, really, that will make the case very strongly that you should just do research for the sake of it, that, you know, who cares if it has a purpose? Um, because to get money out of grant funders to to argue for our purpose and place in the world and in the academy has been to say that our research has to be valued. But the thing is, if your research has to be valued, you have to kind of show a problem that it solves. And that means a lot of us are very committed to that social justice project, whether that's making society better, whether it's health and making people's you know lives better. Um, whether it is improving functionality in businesses or you know whatever your passion is but we, we narrate that as a process of improvement of making the world better and then we work in universities where things are very imperfect and that's just because they're human institutions um but I think then what we feel like is well hang on we study problems we want to make the world better and this institution that we are part of doesn't want to play along with that game and and why doesn't it and how do we improve it and so I think a lot of anger and resentment also comes out of that weird conflict between being an imperfect institution um, but also being people whose whole careers is committed to trying to make things better and and how do we resolve that Mm. Mm. so there's a kind of this is sort of dissonance and I think you articulate that really beautifully um, in the work and so this sense of a kind of 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 the emotional labour of the emotional um, context um and kind of calling that out and recognizing that and mm. um, and so what I want to talk what to ask you then now is more particularly about this experience for PhD researchers because you talk about it in the book about coming into the academy and being acclimatized to the the academy um so tell us a little bit about that and in terms of yeah mm. how that works so I think uh, the first thing is I'm an emotions historian, so I'm interested in how emotions are vary across time and across culture. I'm not a psychologist. I don't think about them in terms of universals. Um, and I think that's important to know when you come into this. So when I think about emotions in the academy, I was like, well, what is different about how we do emotions there? And if we are doing emotions differently in that space, how did we learn them? What was that socialisation process? You know, what was that education? Um, and, and so that's where I kind of looked at the PhD process, because I think that that was a, it's a really critical moment where we're kind of disciplined and I use that word in a very Foucauldian but very intentional way that you know we are put through a series of practices that teach us what it is to be an academic and that includes how we should feel how we should express emotion what we should be angry about and what we should value and therefore love and feel passionate about and that's not natural you, you're not born knowing that for some people like me we didn't even know what you know the academy was until we kind of went to university so it's not this natural thing at all it's an it's an education um, that we are given and I think it happens at the PhD because one uh, you don't really see these kind of attitudes and values held by undergraduates um, it's really I think that process of, of creating research of, of doing that training that we start to kind of be enculturated um, and I think it uh, it kind of consists in two parts. And one is about being part of an intellectual community um, around your discipline, around what your area of research is. Um, and we 
do this uh, right from the beginning because one of the first things you do uh, now when you do a PhD is you're said go away and do the reading read what other people have written about this topic um, and then think about how you're going to expand it or contribute to it or build on it and so we um, right from the beginning we situate the knowledge that we're going to make but also ourselves as scholars in relationship to that community and then the whole kind of process of a PhD or at least it was before the pandemic um, was about you know meeting those people that we talk with in our work and going to conferences, listening to other people's papers, engaging with those ideas. And we're kind of uh, really kind of that sense of community that we are part of and that we belong to um, and that we all have a shared investment and care around our subject area. It's something that's a very strong and important part of our training. And a big question for me, and we can maybe discuss this later, is what the pandemic did for that process. But I think that kind of makes us care a lot about our fields, but also about being part of that community. So it's a kind of it's a love. We, we are we're taught to fall in love with each other, to find ourselves a family in some ways. Um, and part of that is a socialisation process around uh, not just about caring about your field and uh and, and those ideas that can often be for many people about how you present and uh, what you wear, what your accent is, um, what kind of uh, popular culture you know and um, are meant to know and, and talk about over dinner. Um, a lot of people talk about that kind of culture shock and having to learn that, that cultural capital that doesn't come naturally if you're not already part of that kind of middle class that the, the academy was built around. I also talk about the, the professional part of this, and I think that's new or not new in that it's been happening over a long time. But um, the professionalisation um, of the PhD, I think, was recognised. A lot of the funding for PhDs now comes uh, from the, the in OECD countries are comes because they think that PhDs are important for the wider economy. And so there was an emphasis that we should train more PhDs than there are jobs. And that is not a flaw in the system, despite the fact that everybody thinks it is. That is actually the purpose. We think it is valuable to have people with PhDs in ordinary jobs and ordinary workplaces because those research skills, that way of thinking about that world, that knowledge is valuable to everyone. And actually, I think that's really important. I, I don't disagree with that. Um, we just maybe should communicate that more, <laughs> that we, we do expect people to move into lots of industries. Um, but that process then said, well, we have to teach people how to recognise the skills and the transferable kind of uh, ideas and, and things that they're learning through this process. And we also need to get them to be very timely. So you can't just come along and do your PhD over a decade and it's your hobby and your passion. It's got, you, you know, if you're going to go out and do this for industry, you're going to have to do it on quite a strict timeline. You might have to do it on a topic that you don't care about even a little. Um, and so we have more PhDs that somebody else has picked your topic. Um, but also there's a sense of which that you're you're discouraged from maybe having quite so much passion and being a bit more functional, a bit more practical. Um, and I think that is a different kind of discipline of the self that you think should detract from community, but in fact doesn't. I think it invests us more that we are professionals and that's part of who we are. And we start to think about the PhD process differently. Um, but it hasn't removed our emotional investment. And in fact, that social justice stuff that I was talking about, that problem solving, I think it has reinforced that, the idea that what we do is about useful knowledge, practical knowledge. And so therefore that um, we then see we have more concern with it changing the world. And if you think of your work as changing the world, then that's a very big ask on the self and identity. Um, and I think that kind of disciplines us in a particular way. So much in there. So much in there. Um, so this sense of emotional investment and that 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 um, is 
I say, even if your topic isn't one that you're particularly passionate about, there's still that sense of an emotional investment in the wider endeavour. Um, but just to come back to this sense of um, identity and, and the, this, your sense of self, you talk in the book about this, this evolution of identity through through this this training um could you unpack that a little bit more yeah I, I think that, um different people experience this to different levels and I think like as we know or maybe don't but a, a lot of uh, academics are actually the children of academics and I think I, I maybe I need to interview more of them but I think some of this is easier if you have been brought up in, in those kind of families you you know a little bit more about what uh, the emotions of the academy might look like and what's expected um, but while those people are there there's plenty of others who have never been part of this world and so are having to learn that um, that process um, but I think it's uh and I think many people, the new ideas that they encounter, um, the new ways of thinking of the critical analysis skills, um, it really, it's a retraining of your brain. And it can be really hard work and, and it can be painful in the sense that anything like, you know, going to the gym is painful if you overdo it. Um, and I think in a similar way, you're kind of having to retrain a whole lot of your instincts and the ways of thinking and um and, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. It's a process of self-development, but it's not necessarily an easy one. And it's one that can make you seem quite different from sometimes the, the communities that you came from. You might think about the world differently. You might have different interests. You might uh, start to think of some of the kind of assumptions that were made as, as wrong or problematic. And so for many people, they find that that, that process of, of doing a PhD and thinking about the world differently can actually in some ways isolate or exclude them from communities that they, they were part of and that were part of uh, who they were. Um, and, and as that happens, then you have to find a new community, which academia tends to offer, but then invest you in being an academic, because if you if you give that up, you you've kind of you've given up your originating family or community um, and then you've you've created a new one and then you've also have to recognize well this one hasn't got a place for me and then you go into a third one and I think that process is actually really really painful and challenging and 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 as and we maybe need to think a little bit more about you know why that happens and whether that's all good I'm not sure that is yes and I, that's I love that in the book that you just offer a critical lens on this this sense of and you, you talk about the sense of academia being a cult and that there's this kind of this process and just ask a question of that, this process of enculturation, that people are kind of coming in and being um, having, you know, sense of what, what to believe, how to behave, separating out from that which they have been involved with before and, and what, do, what does that mean and how do people negotiate that and the, the painfulness in that. But also that potentially is, you know, talk about the PhD journey, that is the journey that, you you know, you may there'll be all sorts of great things along the way as well. So it's um, just offering a perspective on that. And I think very few people regret, they may, there's many things you may regret about a PhD, but that transformation of how you think and see the world isn't one that people tend to see as the problem. Um, they, they, you know, they, they, they might regret that they maybe become distant from their family or that they committed a decade of their life to a career that they could never take up when they have to leave later those kind of things people feel angry and, and, and resentful but it's very 
it's rare to say somebody say, oh, I wish I didn't think about the world like this. Maybe English lit scholars wish they could read novels and turn their brains off. But um, maybe other than that, we, we don't often regret that, that training of mind, I guess. Yes, this sense of a, a process, and this, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, that, the, that it is a process of self-development um, and that, that that has a real value to it. Um, but I think what you bring up really interestingly in the book is that how that self-development then ne- is negotiated with the institution, <laughs> the academic yeah. institution. So you're on a journey, the institution is doing something, how do you interact with that? Um, and there's some really interesting stuff around that I guess um so I I I am aware of time <laughs> um I just say there's so much more that I, I would want to ask you about and I really would recommend the book it is incredibly well um referenced too so I think there's there's, there's so much more that you can that you you're kind of pointing us onto in terms of scholars reflecting on what it means to be within the academy, what it means to step outside of the academy. It's, yeah, really, really um, interesting. And I, I wondered where it's where it left you at the end of writing that book. Yeah, uh, there's a question here also about the pandemic that I think I'll maybe come to here as well. So yes. as I was finishing the book, I the pandemic started, right? So like, and, and, and I kind of felt, I mean, what we went through as academics uh, in terms of the, the, the requests asked of us in terms of additional labour, but also then in Australia particularly, we were being laid off, mass, mass job losses yes. across the field. And it was like, it's really hard to be asked to work, you know, 70 hours a week at the same time that half your colleagues are being fired, right? Like, the, 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 um, And I think that a lot of that passion and care and commitment that we were bringing suddenly felt very hollow and hard. And, and so I felt there was a cooling effect um and I and so one of the questions for me was is uh you know are we still is it the emotions of the academy going to be the same as we move forward um and, and post-pandemic and I think actually they are right because I think we've got enough distance on it now but I think um one I, I have an interesting question for the new cohort who didn't go to conferences and didn't have the same opportunities to be part of the academic community during that really critical stage of the PhD, whether they feel as invested in this institution as, as those of us who went through it in a, in a more human uh, kind of, we saw each other more sense, mm-hmm. um, and, or whether or not they will be able to have a more critical distance just generally from you know what's asked of them. Um, but I also think a lot of us feel very bruised by uh, a lot of those those decisions that impacted our lives and 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 the lack of care that was shown by institutions for academics and for students um and who and whether or not uh yeah people will want to fight in the same ways or whether that that will change or not um so i think what i kind of came out thinking about at the end of the book is whether i would have written a different book if i did it now and not you know three years ago and and to think about those those cooling processes uh, and their implications i think for what we think we do um, and whether or not we can still see the academy as a project for social justice is another issue i think a lot of us are increasingly skeptical that if we couldn't even care for ourselves how do we care for anyone else Yes, yes, here, here. And you and you'd speak to that, you speak to the precarity and you speak to the, the brutality, really, in academia, um, the aggression and the microaggression in there. Um, so 
well, thank you. Thank you for recognising that. Thank you for calling that out. Thank you for just, yeah, articulating sense of what you talk about, the heightened emotional register of academia and this sense of that if you are feeling lots of emotions, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Actually, it means that you're probably reading the terrain right. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I do always ask for um, a top tip or something for people to take away. So if people are in that place of this, kind of they're, they're in that heightened emotion of um, the, the PhD process at the moment, any thoughts or comments or references? I think the thing I would say is to know that it is an emotional process, right? Mm. That um, I think that we, and cu- culture beyond the academy, tends to think of a, a heightened emotion as a problem. You, know, you go and see your, your psychologist and you work through those things and you try to come to an equilibrium. But the academy is not that. Like, like, it, talk, it wants you to be passionate. Um, and that means you, you feel the highs and you feel the lows. Um, and I think that that can be... Uh, actually quite challenging to to learn how to do that kind of emotional self and how to manage it um so I kind of think the message is to know that this is a normal part of that process and to not necessarily think of yourself as kind of you know pathological or a uh, kind of you know like I'm not saying that people should not take care of their mental health they absolutely should mm. but recognizing that um that there's that if you're feeling those things, they are part of what the institution is doing to you. Um, and so to step back sometimes and just to think about, well, why is it asking this of me? Um, and how do how can I manage this? And how can I some lean into it? You can lean into it. You don't have to always run away, but you sometimes you might run away. Um, but to think about that process as a kind of a critical one, and to know that you get to be critical about your own emotions. They're they're not just natural and overwhelming. There are things that you manage and you think about and you perform. And so that gives you a sense of, of being able to kind of come to that uh, experience of the PhD as one that's embodied and as part of your body. And just like anything, you can learn to manage that and to think about that um, and, and to get better at it. Um, and so I, I just want people to kind of uh, not be overwhelmed by their emotions, but to see them as tools that they can kind of use and think with and hone in various ways. I love that so much. That, uh, that speaks our language. <laughs> um, Casey, thank you so much. Um, I, I will have the um, link to the book um, in the show notes. And I, I say I would really strongly recommend taking a look and um, and following up on the references that you have, you have um, drawn on there. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me.